I have had the fortune, the great fortune, to produce Mike and Mike, The Herd with Colin Cowherd, Golik and Wingo, Stupidity, Cinephile, the list goes on. Wow. The one product that I have listened to the most, and I don't even know what second place is, after I stop producing those, is Cinephile. Yes. How many well. episodes of Stupidity have I listened to since I stopped producing Stupidity? <laughs> Take the under. Okay, how many times did I listen to Golik and Wingo once I stopped producing it? I think the last episode, because I knew Golik was going to shout me out. And he did. The lack of narrative momentum or compelling character arcs start to wear on you. The jokes get old, too. Bill Jabiri of New York Magazine slash Vulture, thoughts on THE Suicide Squad. That's right, the latest film involving superheroes to attach to ourselves this summer. Also, Val, a documentary in the life of Val Kilmer. Fascinating stuff on Amazon Prime, we'll get into that. In addition to that, the Way Brothers got a fantastic documentary about the mouse, the Pals. If you're a sports fan, you're well aware of that incident involving the Pacers and the Pistons. And the OG returns. That's right, Dan Stanzik, the man who was the original producer of Cinephile, back after over 100 episodes away as we are cruising along. Chris Cody, as always, in the chair. Cody, how are we doing? We have another Suicide Squad. Wasn't there already a Suicide Squad? I- I'm so confused by these Marvel movies. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm like, wait, what, what's the difference, right? It's Suicide Squad, then it's the Suicide Squad. It's not even Suicide Squad 2. So I'm like, wait, is this a reboot? Is this a sequel? What exactly is going on here? Bottom line is this another Suicide Squad to dive into. Uh, by the way, thanks to everybody who's been listening. Please go to Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. I saw one story about Matt Damon Cody in which he said, no one's ever lost more money than me in terms of getting to an attached project. Avatar, he turned down to James Cameron. Wow. Cameron offered him. 10% of the gross. Ooh. It made $2.8 billion. My man turned down $280 million. I mean, you, I'm wondering, what was his thoughts on it? He's just like, nope, not for me. Yeah, I just don't want to be with a bunch of blue creatures. I don't care this about James environmentalism. Can't, can't, this Jim Cameron, I can't trust him. Right, Titanic, but, you know, it's going to be an overly long shoot. I'm like, God, it's a lot of stress. I'm going to be the king of the world. i got to listen to this nonsense. I'm like, no, $280 million Matt Damon turned down. Wow. But hopefully you're all enjoying Still Water, which is Matt Damon's latest film right now in theaters. And uh, make sure you check out Tom McCarthy, who's just on the Mark Maron podcast. I can't wait to listen to that. All right, let's get into Suicide Squad. Because like Cody said, do you really need another one of these? Well, I don't know if we needed it, but it's here. Uh, David Ayer made the original one, and I got to tell you, I don't think there's ever been a film that's made more money, which more people hated. I I think the gross on that movie was probably $500 million, and yet the collective feeling from fans and critics was that it was a rigged disappointment. So now they have The Suicide Squad, and listen, as far as the storyline, does it really matter? It's a secret government agency. They recruit some of the most dangerous incarcerated supervillains to form a defensive task force. Their mission is to save the world from the apocalypse. Yeah, that's pretty much what you're getting here. It's going to be these big, grandiose thoughts. But the biggest reason why this film is actually a genuine surprise and something enjoyable is the director is James Gunn, unlike David Ayer. The first film was cold and clinical and detached, and you said, where's the fun in a superhero movie? Thankfully, this movie, though, because it's James Gunn, has a different feel to it. If you're wondering, why do I know that name? It's because he did the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and those movies are a lot of fun. Those are superhero movies, which are very tongue-in-cheek and irreverent and silly and still have all the action you're going for. So it, it feels much, much different in the hands of James Gunn. Uh, and there's definitely lots of one-liners. I mean, there's one scene where John Cena's in his tidy whiteies. Uh, he's talking about starfish's slang for butthole. Um, you've got <laughs> characters who are very unusual. There's a shark man who, in some ways, I guess, was kind of like Groot. Like, Groot doesn't say anything, just as I am Groot. And there's a shark man. He obviously, he's a shark. He can't say anything. <laughs> but he gives you some good humor. There's a detached man. One of the big takeaways here, Chris, very violent film. I mean, this earns its R rating. You've got slicing and dicing. There's, at one point, a close-up of a knife in a beating heart. Uh, You've got plenty of exploding heads. There's at least two beheadings that I saw. Um, So it's definitely a violent film. If you like your violence, which Stugatz does, he's going to enjoy this. There's also a character called Polka Dot Man, who is exactly as you think. He throws polka dots at people. And if you're wondering what was the one good part of Suicide Squad, is she back? Yes, she is. Margot Robbie is back as Harley Quinn. She was one of the few bright spots in the original film. She's as deranged as ever involved in a romantic subplot. In fact, there's one outstanding set piece, which is set to Louis Prima's Just a Gigolo, one of the great songs ever. Um, And I really enjoyed that. Also was in Robert De Niro's Mad Dog and Glory. But that's a really good showcase there for Margot Robbie. At one point she says, because she's very colorful in her dialogue, she says, I love the rain. It's like the angels are splooging all over us. 
That's the kind of humor you're getting here. <laughs> it's also refreshing to hear Idris Elba, who's now replacing Will Smith, he gets to use his English accent for a change. So it's nice to actually see Idris Elba. And he shows a little bit more of a humor as well. But ultimately, it's colorful characters. It's a winking sense of humor. You know, at one point when the characters is asked, do you want a dozen angry rodents crawling up your ass? And the guy responds, the answer may not be what you expect. And I'll say <laughs> this for the Suicide Squad. This was not the film I was expecting. I, I saw the good reviews, 92% Rotten Tomatoes. I said, well, hang on a second. Sometimes the critics do lose their minds, but I was a little bit encouraged. And after seeing it, I'm giving it two and a half Maple Leafs. Unlike the first film, which made you want to contemplate suicide, this film is thankfully enjoyable and refreshing. The Suicide Squad, a pleasant surprise, in theaters now and available on HBO Max. I'm not going to lie, I kind of just have questions about Polka Dot Man. He's one of the villains, yeah. And somebody says to him, like, what do you do? Do you just throw polka dots at people? He's like, yeah. That's so, the saddest bad guy I've ever heard in any film. There was no spitball session for his name. I know this is probably like an old character from a DC comic, but I'm just like, it's polka dot man. That's where we are. Yeah, and he hates his mom. So whenever he looks at people, he sees his all mom. All bad which, guys hate their mom. Okay, yeah. and then they all have mom issues. That's true. They definitely, there's definitely nothing new about that. But he literally throws polka dots at people. Like one scene, it's just disgusting. Does it even it's hurt you? Does it hurt? Like well, I've never had a polka dot thrown these at me. Po- polka dot bulbs like in his face it's just like bulging out of his face i mean it's it's definitely not a character that would be intimidating like if you think about joker and riddler and like oh wait we got polka dot man if i was trying to spitball terrible names for a villain i'd say polka dot man (laughs) that would definitely be at the top of the list maybe that's why the suicide squad is indeed a pleasant surprise the other film i want to talk about before we get to our guests is val it's available on amazon prime and this is a, a kaleidoscope of archival film clips home videos and val kilmer present day he's signing autographs spending time with his son and daughter. If you haven't seen Val Kilmer in a while, it's a little jarring when you do see him. He's battled throat cancer, and now he can't speak. He literally has a breathing tube, a trach, and when he presses it, you know, his voice comes out very, very tough to understand. Thankfully, the documentary has subtitles. I couldn't imagine. Maybe if you're his family members, you get used to the voice, but it's very, very tough to understand what he's saying. Uh, And his son actually provides a narration for the documentary, but using first person. So he says, you know, I remember what it was like working with Oliver Stone. It's obviously the kid being Val Kilmer. So it's interesting, at least. It's not my father felt this it's actually his son doing the narration for him in first person like i said he looks a lot different right now and he's had a challenging life father was an adulterer real estate maven uh later he was a scam artist he cost val kilmer his son a fortune mom was emotionally remote but Val Kilmer had an abundance of talent. He was accepted to Juilliard, prestigious school for actors. There's an excellent clips of him when he's younger, showing his range, showing his ambition. He dreams of playing Hamlet one day, but then tragedy strikes. He loses his brother to an epileptic fit in a jacuzzi. And his father was never the same, blamed himself for that, was racked with guilt. Eventually, though, it gets to Val Kilmer's career and his work. Top Secret, one of those zany comedies, really funny in the 80s. The stuff on the doors, I mean, he's uncanny as Jim Morrison. Totally immersive, method acting. It was shortly after being married. And he's very candid about the fact he was not a great husband because he was too busy being Jim Morrison, playing the music all the time, getting into that character. Tombstone, I think for many people, if you say Val Kilmer, oh my God, I love Tombstone. Yes, he's unforgettable as Doc Holliday, charismatic, even as he's dying. You know, his voiceover, it says that he thought it was like a love story between him and uh, Kurt Russell's character, Wyatt Earp. There's footage there with Kurt Russell. Also footage with Sean Penn and uh, Kevin Bacon. They were young actors starting out. At one point, they moon the camera, you know, just kind of funny and silly stuff. I mean, Val Kilmer's one of the few guys had a camcorder at that age. I mean, 80s and 90s, he's taken the camcorder everywhere. Really interesting stuff about Batman. This is a dream for any actor. Say, I get to play Batman, but it was an uncomfortable experience. He was stifled by the role. He literally, the suit was so uncomfortable. Someone has to help you stand up. Someone has to help you sit down. It takes a while to get off, and you can't hear anything. He said it was so tough, restrictive. You literally couldn't hear anything. So so no one ever talked to him. It was a very isolating experience being Batman. Very disappointing. Yeah, the wild part. He said, I kept thinking the breathing would be tough, but of course you can breathe through your mouth, but the nose, it's a little bit restricted. But more the ears. Couldn't hear anything, and you can't move. You're just, you're stuck. So he said he realized as far as playing the character, Jim Carrey's character was so outsized and over the top as Riddler. Tommy Lee Jones already knew what he was doing as Two-Face. So for him, he was like, I approached it like a soap opera actor. He goes, if you watch the movie, count how many times I put my hands on my hips. It's the only thing I could do, put my hands on my hips and kind of those quick jolts and kind of like very tongue-in-cheek, hey, what did you say to me? So he kind of channeled the soap opera acting part of it, hated the experience, and made $183 million, big hit, mixed reviews, but then turned down Batman and faced a lot of scorn for why would this guy turn down the fourth Batman, which if you recall, George Clooney did that. It's one of the big jokes of Clooney's career. He always jokes, I was the Batman with the nipples in the Batsuit. Um, <laughs> but, but it is interesting how Val Kilmer's life went differently, right? He's in these big movies. He turns down the fourth Batman. 
then he was kind of all over the place. One of the big disappointments for me is Heat, which is my favorite Val Kilmer movie. They spend a scant 30 seconds on it. It literally goes from the Batman section to I went from Batman to Heat, which felt like an indie movie, which is crazy because that movie had at least a $50 million budget. But he said it felt like an indie movie coming off of Batman, which had so many toys that Joel Schumacher had at his disposal. But no depth given at all. He's incredible. And he, all he says is, oh, I liked working with Pacino. I liked working with De Niro. Michael Mann's a great director. Let's move on. Awful. Real disappointment in watching this documentary. There wasn't more about Heat. I just think it was the choices he made. You know, he made a film called The Island of Dr. Moreau because he wanted to work with Marlon Brando. But John Frankenheimer, the director, did not get along well with Brando. Didn't really take Brando's ideas. I mean, there's one sequence where Brando is literally on a hammock. And it's just like on the camcorder, and Val Kilmer's like, have you ever thought about death? What's your earliest childhood memory? And Marlon Brando's just this, you know, oversized whale who's like, just give me a push. And like Val Kilmer's pushing one of the greatest actors of all time who's as fat as ever on a hammock. And I'm like, okay, well, this was the behind the scenes of Island Dr. Morrow. I can see why this wasn't a great film on the air, much less off the air. But ultimately, I was a little disappointed by the documentary. I, I get what Val Kilmer's trying to do. Um, it's supposed to be a look at the artist and his life and uh, although I appreciated the journey he was taking, his creativity, and the sadness of where he is now, as he says, listen, I, I, I sound a lot worse than I feel. And he goes to all these you know, autograph signings and stuff, and he goes, I'm a little bit conflicted by it. Part of me says, what is more sad than a guy who goes and reflecting on his life 20 years ago? But he said, when I go, though, the people are so happy to see me. And you do get clip after clip of people saying, hey, man, I loved you in Tombstone. They have a gigantic revival at Tombstone outside in Texas. Uh, people meeting him who loved Batman, who loved his work. So... He, he says he kind of feels conflicted about, but people are so nice to him. And even though he's been jarred by this experience, he's still grateful he's alive, still grateful to be what he's a part of. But I'll say this. I'm only going to give it two Maple Leafs overall. I found it interesting, but also empty as a collage of a man's life. Unlike an impressionistic painting that it sets out to be, to me, it felt disjointed. So of the two movies, Cody, are you more likely to see The Suicide Squad or oh, Val? This is not even close, Val. I, right. I, I can, I, I, that brings me back, that Batman role... That, that interests me a little bit. The, 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 I'm just not into the Marvel thing. Well, Kay Austin Collins of Rolling Stone will back you up. When talking about the Suicide Squad, the movie is too much, too long, but not lacking in its glories. If you love Harley Quinn, by the way, which I did, she was the lone bright spot of the original Suicide Squad, you can just watch her movie, Birds of Prey, because that was a standalone film of Margot But Rock. like I said, I am kind of intrigued by Polka Dot Man, so maybe I will have to check it out. All right, Polka Dot Man is definitely a good sell. Not a threatening villain, <laughs> but when you see the Suicide Squad, the maybe your opinion will be changed. The worst villain ever. This yeah. villain can't be intimidating. There's nothing villainous about our special guest. We're bringing back the OG, okay? <laughs> the original gangster. The man who, when we were talking one day, said, let's do a podcast. Because I said, I'm never going to get a radio show here at ESPN. I've been passed over by Canal. I've been passed over by all these people. It's never going to happen. And he said, well, we can do a podcast. Everyone and their grandmother has a podcast. He said, well, you can do one. I mean, well, movies, baseball, the Flyers, Federal, whatever you want. I said, no, I don't know about the other sports stuff. Let's just do movies. He goes, okay, fine, screw it. We go in the studio. We knock it out. Pete Genesini gives us the go-ahead and bam. Somehow, some way, 78 episodes at ESPN, and somehow, some way, me and our special guest somehow got to the Oscars. That's right, I'm speaking about Dan Stanzik, who may not have the street cred or the credentials of Claire Atkins as far as an indie darling, but how about this? He was, as I mentioned, a credentialed media member of the Academy Awards, and he's seen 212 of the 222 movies nominated for Best Picture in his lifetime. He's also the proud father of a new baby girl. Shout out to Shay Eleanor Stanzik, born April 18th. Although Dan Stanzik's still getting his runs in, according to Mike Gay, who's monitoring his running, which is awfully odd. Without further ado, after over 100 episode absence, Dan Stanzik is back. What is up, my man? Adnan, thank you for having me. Chris, this podcast is in great hands. Let me just say that right off the bat. And I gotta okay. be honest, Cody, Last week, you, you casually throw out, like, oh, I was at my bowling league. And then blows right by it. Can we talk about the bowling league? You uh, produce a movie podcast. You're in a bowling league. Are you dropping Big Lebowski quotes every week? What are we doing? Uh, it's a league game. See, I've heard of Big Lebowski. That's a good one. Oh, Cody, come on. <laughs> I, think we, I think we tackled that episode one. I think that's one of the first ones that I, like, admitted to him that I haven't seen. But I did watch. What did I watch? What did you make me watch, Adnan? That was, like, a reboot of the Big Lebowski, and I hadn't even seen uh, it. It was the John Turturro, uh, the Jesus rules. Oh, yeah. Right. Nobody it... fucks with the Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, st I'm stuck on the bowling league yeah, thing. Yeah. You're in Florida. Yes. In a bowling alley oh, well, that... with a lot of other people, this Delta variant is ripping through the country. 
Yeah. Bowling alley just seems like the grossest place you could be. We're wearing masks. Well, at least some of us are. And listen, man, what do you want from me? I'm vaccinated. I'm trying to live my life. You're right. It's not the safest. I wash my hands after every game. Like, don't judge me, okay? I'm just okay, trying to I'm live. Judge I'm just, I'm concerned for the state of Florida that bowling well, leagues are like up and running. Well, it's state of Florida, you know, that's just. Okay. Are you a good bowler? I'm okay. <laughs> I can uh, see I you cracking like north of 200. Oh wow. no no no! I'm more of like one like a good game for me is like 180. But you got a handicap, okay. so I get some. I get a bunch of pins. It's fun. I'm, I'm you know honestly, it's an excuse to put a beer in my hand. There like you if go. I'm being frank. We like all, get a, we're, we're fathers. We all need the excuses. I get away you. from the wife and the kids for an hour or two. Like that's what we're doing here. That's mm -hmm. all. Okay, I'm with okay. you. Okay, well, well, add the big Lebowski to the list. One of the great things about Dan is he'll give me feedback on the episodes. Just, as I uh -oh. pointed out, I'm very needy when it comes to feedback, oh, yeah. and I didn't get what I wanted from Mark Harris. So I texted <laughs> Dan and said, "Who did who did you enjoy more, Stugatz, Claire, or Mark Harris?" He texted back, "Let's save it for the pod." I already know the answer is probably going to be Stu. So I'm going to say a follow up. What did you think of Mark Harris? But first off, who did you enjoy? most Stugatz, Claire, or Mark Harris? I'll say this. I love Claire. Wow. She, she knows her movies. Mm -hmm. She's great. All these indie films, great energy. You know, I wanted nothing to do with the movies she was recommending, though. <laughs> She's great for the podcast. She she provides a lot. She fills all these voids that I, I never filled. I didn't know what's going on there. But, Cody, there's no chance you remember any of the movies that she named. Other than I remember there was one with a bear. Yes. And I'm like, is that the cocaine bear? Because I'm in on that one. But it wasn't the cocaine bear. So it was Black Bear and I saw it. I Whoa. watched the Black Bear. I even messaged Claire. I was like, I took your recommendation. I'm, like I said, big Aubrey Plaza fan. Oh, and I watched it. Okay. And that movie was crazy. It's one, okay. I don't want to give anything away, but midway, like you think you're watching one movie and then it just kind of like shit hits the fan. And it, I enjoyed it. I, t I messaged her. I was like, that was a good recommendation. I was into it. Black Bear, Chris approved. Love it. Okay, that's huge news. But to answer your question, Adnan, the answer is, of course, Stu Gods. Give me the birthday buddies edition, you and Stu. Yeah. Ten times out of ten. Sorry, Mark Harris. Sorry, Claire. <laughs> Love you. Crushed it, buddy. Crushed it. I have, <laughs> I have had the fortune, <laughs> the great fortune, to produce Mike and Mike, The Herd with Colin Cowherd, Golden Wingo, Stupidity, Cinephile. The list goes on. Wow. The one product that I have listened to the most, and I don't even know what second place is after I stopped producing those, is Cinephile. Yes. How many well, episodes of Stupidity have I listened to since I stopped producing <laughs> Stupidity? Take the under. Okay. How many times did I listen to Golik and Wingo once I stopped producing it? I think the last episode because I knew Golik was going to shout me out, and he did. I mean, come on. I, I'll give Colin Cowherd this a little bit. Every once in a while, I love Cowherd. I'll check in every once in a while. Yeah, we're going to get to the three words game. It. For those old school cinephile fans who remember, me and Dan would do the three words. Plus, by the way, Dan is going to unveil every man. Again, old school. We're going to go back to the segment which Dan created, which was great. Can you at least give me something on Mark Harris? Did you like? Because Cody, I thought his description was excellent, which was that when I was telling Sam Watson how much I loved his book, he was like, thank you. Thank yeah. you. He was so effusive. Whereas Mark Harris, I'm like, this book's amazing. He's like, yeah. I know it is. Like, yeah. I know I'm He's, awesome. Honestly, forgettable was the interview. <laughs> yeah. The previous guest, I think his name is Jay something. Jay Glennie, the, the one where you got the guy. book, 80 pounds, 80 pay. I don't know what you were doing. Yeah. I must have tweeted something because now him and I follow each other on Twitter. That guy was oh. loving you. You follow guys buddies. are like kindred spirits. Yeah. yeah. You were definitely yeah. right about the kindred spirits. So, yeah. um, oh, that was Raging Bull. Cody approved. Great review. Yeah. Cody. I, I do this segment called The Everman, which you are way more The Everman than I yes. am. Your review, your Thank review you. was like, great movie. I was like, that is perfect. <laughs> That's all I need. Chris approved. Two-word review. Chris approved it. or Chris disapproved. It. Just very it. simple. <laughs> Before we get to the three words game, how, what was it like? Because you mentioned some of the people you worked with. You, know, you worked with Mike Greenberg, Mike Golick. How about the fact that Mike Greenberg, who I think is an eloquent, smart guy, some might say glib, but he <laughs> thought that your name was Stan Zick. Your name is Dan Stanzik. He thought first name Stan, last name Zick. Yeah, that's that's greeny for you. I don't think that story <laughs> needs needs any more other than that. That was that was like a real thing. I, I had been working with the company for like three years, working on event production, doing like play by play of games and stuff. And I was filling in on Mike and Mike. And in the production meeting the day before, I was not there, but they were like, "Oh, who's filling in for so and so?" And they're like, "Oh, Stan Zick." And he was like, "Hang on, his name is Stan Zick." And they're like, "No, Greeny, no, his name is Dan." His last name is Stanzik. So then I eventually produced Mike and Mike. He still called me Zick. Ooh. Yeah. 
What a love dick. Greeny, though. Greeny's a great. <laughs> no, no, love guy, yeah. I mean, that's a nickname. I mean, I, I feel like getting a nickname from Greeny, I mean, that's a win, man. Yeah. And speaking of movie nicknames, Travis Rockhold, who you know, Adnan, yes. I don't know if you do, Cody. Greeny called him Bickle. Awesome. One, because his first name was Travis, and two, because he looked like Robert De Niro's character from Taxi Driver, which, Chris, I don't believe you've seen yet. Get on it. Yeah. But he called him Bickle. I love that. When I heard Greeny yeah. call him Bickle, I'm like, hey, I'm all in on Greeny, and I'm all in on Travis Rockhold. Being Travis Bickle, can, a deranged cat. Can I just jump in real fast? Because I you just can jump of, in whenever you, Chris. Yeah. You whenever you want. I just thought of something that me and Stanzik have done, and it needs to be mentioned. We can't do this interview without mentioning this: the fact that me and Stanzik interviewed Tom Brady once. Oh, that's true. I just needed that to be said that's in true. this interview. I didn't and know Rory, this. Rory McElroy, Don't forget. This my best was, friend. And, and this was this was the first thing he did after Howard. Like when he joined the Bucks, everyone wanted to talk to Brady. He went on Howard Stern, but you know who we talked to next? Dan Stanzik and Chris Cody. That's who we talked right. to next. Journalists, real journalists. Well, what was this about? I don't, I don't know. I, I need details here. It, it, it's just he came to the right people. That's it all sounds cooler if we yeah. were his first interview after yeah. Howard Stern. Yeah. That's no, it. no, no further description. It's needed. still in my Twitter bio. <laughs> no further description needed. He actually okay. mocked Cody's background. If I he remember, did. he was like, "Chris, what, where are you right now?" Yeah, I was like, I, it was back in the Zoom days when I was at home, and you know, I had a background. We don't need to talk about whatever. It. Like I said, whatever. We yeah. just, I interviewed Tom Brady, best friend. Okay. Let's get to the three words game, which Dan and I did on Cinephile for a while. Then eventually we kind of got tired of it. The best was how De Niro subverted the game. The, the goal was supposed to be three adjectives. So I said to De Niro, give me three words to describe Martin Scorsese. He paused and goes, lover of film. I'm like, okay, that is technically the three word game, but we were looking for adjectives. But Dan is going to do a specific ESPN sports edition here. Colin Cowherd, three words. A guy you worked with a lot. He was a huge fan of yours. I remember there was times I'd watch the show and go, man, he's riveted by you. And you said, quote, he's been eye-fucking me the whole time. But it, <laughs> but, but it was critical that you were like, wrapped with attention to what he was saying. So he's Colin, really, like, yeah. Colin needs an audience. So he needed oh, someone yes. like eye level with him. And it was kind of weird at first, but like he's locked in. Like you are the one he is delivering his sermon to, for lack of a better term. Do you ever fake it? Because Dan is like that, where Dan Lebitard needs a lot of like, if you're in the uh, other room, like at least act like you're listening or else he doesn't feel like you're checked out. So I do a lot of nodding where I'm like, oh, great. This is, I'll give him a thumbs up every once in a while. Half the time, not even listening. The first one that did this actually was Brian Kenny, who had a radio show back in the day. I was running the board for Brian Kenny and I had to stand up to look through the glass so that our eyes were meeting. Yeah. Very weird. <laughs> Love Brian that? Kenny, too. With three Wait. words for Cowherd, Adnan, I'm going to give you aloof. Nicely yeah. done, Chris. Aloof, because I remember once so, someone was like, how many people do you think Colin knows at ESPN? Because he doesn't really talk to many people. And I counted, and it was eight. Um, so aloof, <laughs> yeah. zany, and brilliant. He is wow. a brilliant broadcaster. Oh, yeah. What's up with these Twitter? Did you see that Twitter video? No, he the did Stogie last week, was though? amazing. He, he was did, so self-satisfied. Oh yeah. man, yeah, he was just—he yeah. was announcing some like hire for his podcast network, and he had a cigar, and he was just doing evil laughs. It was—it was great. Yeah, Levitard's spoof Kevin. was fantastic. I hope oh, Colin does more of those videos because Dan's video was incredible. Because I didn't see Colin's. <laughs> I just texted Dan. He goes, and me he too. sent me Colin's video. He's like, no, this is what I'm doing. I'm not just being. Adnan. Yeah, that was everybody. We all saw Dan's video first, right. and we were like, "Dan's losing his mind." And then we saw he was mocking Colin Coward, and we're like, "Okay, he still got it." Yeah, I'm all for parody videos all the time. And, and to Dan's point, the fact that Colin Coward literally talks to himself for three hours a day—that is a real talent. Oh, so Fifteen impressive. hours a week. It Just really wish is. he liked baseball a little more, but that's okay. Uh, Christine Lisi, baked goods. Anyone that's worked at ESPN mm-hmm. knows Christine Lisi is the queen of baked goods. Yep, they're delicious, and you can't say no. Buffalo. She loves yes. her Buffalo Bills and her Buffalo yes. Sabres. And the last word has to be hockey. She sneaks yes. in hockey and those sports center updates like nobody else. As you guys know, I appear on NHL Network. Nobody hits me up more than Christine Lacey. Her and her husband, Rob, all the time are watching. I'm like, man, they, they are locked in an NHL Network. I don't, I don't know if the ratings are great. I'll be honest. It's one of my employers. But Christine Lacey is very, very supportive. I can't wait for this one. Because one of the words has to be irascible. Ryan Rossillo. I'm waiting for you. Are you not offering any words to these? No. You're, just, you're just reacting? Yeah, you're doing just a reaction video yours. to my three words? That's <laughs> what we're doing here? Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, so Ryan Rosillo, NBA, loves his hoops. Yeah. Is that a word? You're going to like this one because there's a dual meaning here. <laughs> Reading, because he always had to go read his articles before his show started. And he also is a, a voracious reader. He, yes. he does. He reads like World War II books. Like he, he's given yeah. out book recommendations that I have taken before, and they yeah. are good books. Loves a lot historical more fiction. Than you think. Yeah. Um, and then the last word is ornery. And I use that word because I was working on Colin Cowherd, and Ryan came in the studio one morning and he goes, 
Guys, I, I just, I mean, I need to tell you, you guys do a great job with Colin. People don't tell you enough. Stanzik, I love your whole ornery thing. And I'm like, I'm not like putting on, like that. that's me. I'm, I'm, right. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and, and Ryan's got a little of that too. He's a little abrasive. Um, so I, I, I think that would sum it up for a second. I think that's great that he called, you should like, I'm ornery. Like, what does that make you? Like, right, mean, right. are you kidding? That's why irascible would be my word for Rosillo. Cody, you want to throw in a word or two for Ryan Rosillo? You haven't worked in a lot, I think. Buff. I was yeah. We got to get the, the workouts in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah I mean shirtless. No, but, but reading is a great one like, because you always had to go read. You couldn't have a conversation. Yeah. I got to go read. What do you mean you go read? What are you reading? I don't he just understand. hated meetings. I respect yeah, him for yeah, that. I got to go read. Do, do you guys consider audiobooks reading? No, no. I definitely do not. <laughs> not even close. I does. disagree. I disagree. No, uh, I'm digesting it. I'm digesting it. I'm, uh, I'm learning it. What do you mean? I mean, we're talking that's about do you, do you consider uh, drinking a Slurpee eating? <laughs> Because you're yes. digesting that, too. Yes. Right. No. Okay. <laughs> Linda just, Cohn. Now, you've I already used win, hockey so. and Christine Lisi, but Ooh. I feel like hockey and Linda Cohn are synonymous. What do you uh, got yeah, for hockey's, alcohol? Hockey is one of my words for Linda Cohn. I yeah. could do NHL if, if you, sure. if you force me to, to change them. Right. Yeah. I'm going to give OG to Linda Cohn because yeah. she was like SportsCenter OG back in the early, mid-90s. And then I don't even have a third word for Linda, but I will tell you a quick story um, it's someone that you know, Adnan, but let's just say a friend of mine went to a school where college game day showed up. Hmm. And so he made a sign that said, I want to bone Linda Cohn, but he spelled bone B-O-H-N. Oh. Cody, I knew you'd like that I, one. I would, that's fantastic. And you know what? Yeah. Knowing Linda, she'd get a big laugh out of that. She's awesome. Yeah. I, I would say... Very bubbly. I mean, she's always got a great laugh, great manner about herself, loves to laugh, loves to be Long a Island? Action. She's from Long Island, right? Long she's got, Island, I mean, the Linda accent, The accent's yeah, yeah. probably got to be mentioned, oh, too, yeah. yeah. But yeah, Linda's yeah. – and I agree with you. OG, yeah. underrated, I would say, because you think of these great sports center anchors. Mm-hmm. She's done like 30,000 sports centers. It's insane. Let's be honest. They gave her some award. They yeah. made up the number. Yeah, they said it was 20,000 like, sports center. 7,000 sports center. It was just like, let's celebrate Linda Cohn. So I'm not like knocking my employer. Sure. But they made that number up. It was 20,000. And immediately Levy was irate. Like he said to me, because I'm at least 25,000. I go, you son of a... How egotistical are you? You're getting Monday Night Football for guests. I love Levy. Get, get Linda the one thing. Former guest on Cinephile, Steve For Levy. And he was a great guest. Came in studio, told good stories. You then used his material when you had Stupidity. When I had him on Stupidity. somewhere else. Yeah, I think Stupidity. Yeah. 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 Fairly Brothers. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Max Bredos, one of my guys. Let's go. Model, Max yes. Bredos, model in his early days. Yeah. I wrote down Connery because of his Sean Connery impression. <laughs> he does other impressions, but I, I think of Connery as his. Yeah. And then I also wrote a name. I don't know if this counts as a word, but I wrote Charlize Theron. Oh, yeah. Theron. I always, I always screw that up. Yeah. He knew her, or they, they grew up, they were friends in the modeling days. But then you went to some award show with him, and she did not even say hello, if uh. I remember. Total cold shoulder. It was the Critics' Choice Awards, and he's like, let's go say hi to Charlize. And I'm like, okay. Well, I figure they're old buddies. And we walked ooh. over, and I mean, oof. Like, he tapped her. That's and so his, embarrassing. To, to his credit, she didn't know. It wasn't like, who are you? She did turn, and they haven't seen each other. And she looked, and she goes, hey, Max. Like, she knew his name. Oh, she okay, all right. But yeah. so she didn't worse. know. No, no, but, no, no, no. That's worse. You think that's worse? I'd rather just yeah. forget me completely and just be indifferent about me. Like, it's like, oh, I remember you. Don't really have any interest in talking to you. It'd be better if it's like, 
I don't know. I just don't think this is better. Maybe it's not worse, but it's... I, I will say, Chris Cody has some consistency because last week he told you, Adnan, be memorable. Yeah, Apparently, exactly. Max was not memorable. Exactly. No. I mean, she literally just says, I'm Max, and she was kind of chewing on something, and I'm like, it was awful. And he was like, how's your mom doing? How's this? And I'm like, ooh. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I want to get a giant cane and just yank him away. Ooh, like sure. There's some... I, I don't want to make this a Charlie's Throne podcast, but she, there is some crazy stuff with, like, her mom and her dad. Yeah. I think mom killed dad or something, or... I don't know. I have to double check. I hope Chris, we're edit, right. edit that out. I hope we're right on that. <laughs> Some, something something happened with her mom and dad. Cinephile sued for slander. I don't know I'm sure exactly what happened here. Stanza came on. The Blame Bredos. <laughs> Bredos is uh, the, the Connery is an all timer. We, we definitely, there's no question about that. All right. We've built enough time here. Every man. Now, this, this whole concept was born because I said, you know, Dan Stanzik's our everyman. You know, you can relate to people, relate to movies better than I Apparently, can. Apparently, I'm more of an everyman, though, which I feel like was a backhanded compliment. Uh, no, no I Chris, will, uh, I no. just meant I'm more of a movie snob than you are. Right, right, you, yeah. you are more of the audience for those yeah. kind of, like, I kind of scoff at some of those films. Yeah. Where I think they're, you're you're more oh, prone to see them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like a movie snobbery. If I'm a 10, Cody's a 1. Dan is yeah. what? Uh, four? Six? Yeah, six. Okay, five. six. Yeah, five, five of five. Listen, he's seen all those Best Picture winners. He loves the movie Brooklyn, but he oh, also yeah. loves Enemy of the State. Like, can we know. go back to that real fast? Why have you not seen like the five or six that you have? In? Oh, I think like, there's I feel ten. Like Some of them are recent, Chris. Like you're so um, close that I feel like you need to just get to all of them. I should, but you know, fatherhood. I didn't ask for any uh, of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, I haven't seen The Father. Right. I haven't oh. seen Minari. Right. Um, so some of the newer ones. Saw, You'll get around to Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's that. a lot of the newer ones. All right. So every man, listen, Dan's a great writer. So I said, how about you do a segment on the podcast? You write a review of a film you love, an every man type movie. We also did In Defense of. Rick Passmore did a great review of Bowfinger, which is one of the great Eddie Murphy comics. <laughs> oh, I love that. See, I like that movie. Oh, yeah. Like, well, you know what? I've We're going to get Passmore like back it. on. We'll get Passmore back on for Bowfinger. Dan's every man. His best every man, Groundhog Day, was a really well-written review and also a film that I love. Every man, you think you may have done this before, but what the hell? It's been 100 episodes. What do you got? Yeah, oh, and, oh, wait. And, oh, wait. So you don't – so you write these. So this isn't yeah. just – it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh, a okay. little more thought out, Chris, than your normal every man <laughs> right up my alley. Uh, yeah, right up my alley. You always resented the open. Yeah. Um, but, Adnan, as you mentioned, there is a non-zero percent chance that I've already reviewed this film. But yeah. we are like two relaunches of this podcast in the intervening period. So, like, I'm fine if I've already done this one. You're going to know, like, five seconds in if I've already done it. If I have, just keep it to yourself. No problem. You don't have to tell me. Wait till I'm done. Be like, you definitely did that one. Without further ado. Two little mice fell into a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned. The second mouse wouldn't quit. He struggled so hard that eventually he turned the cream into butter and crawled out. Gentlemen, as of this moment, I am that second mouse. Catch me if you can. Came out Christmas Day 2002, so there's a strong chance that I saw it as part of Stanzik Family Movie Night, which Adnan, if you remember, ended after my dad was appalled at the film Bad Santa, which we saw in 2003. Catch Me If You Can stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, Christopher Walken, who was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and Martin Sheen, directed by Steven Spielberg. The great John Williams produced the Oscar-nominated score. It also features, how about some more star power, Chris, Jennifer Garner, Ellen Pompeo, Elizabeth Banks, and Amy Adams, who, and you know I love, specifically for her role in Arrival, a movie that I will cape for whenever I get the chance. The film is inspired by true events. Leo's character, Frank Abagnale Jr., is a con man who cashes fake checks while pretending to be an airline pilot, a doctor, and a lawyer. The tagline of the film, and Adnan, I know you love taglines, is the true story of a real fake. Oh, great Pretty good. Yeah. Hanks's character, Carl Handratty, is a tough luck FBI ah, agent in a, bank, in a bank fraud division with a brutal Boston accent. Merry Christmas, Carl. I am not the arbiter. Oh, Chris has seen it. I love it. I'm not the <laughs> arbiter of the Boston accent, but if I can tell it was bad, then it must have been bad. We're talking like Atlanta, Georgia. Plane leaves in four hours. You're like, brutal. Like, worse than I just did. He's a real hard ass, but he does offer a nice moment of levity once he notices other agents assigned to the case think he's stiff. So he goes, do you want me to tell you a joke? And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, go ahead. He goes, knock, knock. We're like, who's there? Go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> That's the joke. <laughs> So it's a cat and mouse game, plays out over multiple years, featuring different locations, crazy escapes, and as Chris alluded to, Christmas Eve phone calls. The best moments of the film are when Leo and Hanks are talking to one another, whether it be during the aforementioned Christmas Eve phone calls or elsewhere. I won't give any spoilers. Film's a little long. We're talking two hours, 21 minutes. 
tighten it up, Spielberg. Nice. Uh, first half hour, a little slow, but once DiCaprio starts cashing checks, it really picks up. There's a few scenes throughout the movie that are a little ridiculous, like a dollar bill slipping through a door and floating by hand ready like a feather. Not not great. And the ending's a little drawn out, like they had a great ending and then they tried to do another ending. But between the star-studded cast, the score, and the con man stuff, it's an enjoyable watch. I give it three Maple Leafs. Adnan, do you concur? And listen, you have not done this before, but I, I Adnan, will- Adnan, do you concur? <laughs> I will concur. Three Maple Leafs on Cash If You Can. It was a great time for DiCaprio. He was trying to escape the uh, the iceberg that was Titanic. And a great year, he had Gangs of New York as he was the first time with Scorsese. Then he worked with Steven frickin' Spielberg on Cash If You Can. And then, of course, spawned four more movies with Marty. But great year for Leo. And I agree, it has a really kind of light, nimble touch to it. Christopher Walken, fabulous, Oscar-nominated, first time since he was for the Deer Hunter, song and dance kind of man. I agree with you on Hanks. He felt a little miscast. This wasn't one of his stronger roles, but I did like the less the cast. I like the rest of the feel of the movie. Chris Cody in on it. This is honestly, I don't have a top 10. This might make my top 10. I love this movie. Wow. Anytime it's on, I watch it. Leo made making a fake check look so realistic. I remember at the like when I watched this movie the first time, I was like, I just want to start making fake checks. Chris, what about the movie Blank Check? That one, I mean, that was just easy. But this was like, in that movie, you just fill in the blank and like write how much you want on the check. This is, he's like gluing these numbers. Like, it it was impressive. Chris Cody, you now know it's in your top 10. Dan, you've never done it before, so that definitely is a new one here on Every Man. And last thought here before we let you go, I want to talk a little Jays. You texted me and Purnell, you're fired up. The horn is back at the Rogers Center. Robbie Ray has got it rolling right now. I mean, we haven't talked about Robbie Ray in a long time. Jose Barrios could pick up Rodhan. They're they're nine and two since they went back to the Rogers Center. This team is on the rise. I know Levitard loves the stat uh, run differential. Yeah, he does. The Blue Jays may be three games out of the wild card race. They are fifth in baseball in run differential, like plus one twenty three. So this team is way better than their record. They're like ten games over five hundred. We are talking on Tuesday, midday Tuesday. We are fresh off the comeback on Sunday against the Red Sox. Unbelievable game. May have been the turning point of the season for both teams. George Springer has been great. Vladdy Jr. has to be the MVP. Wait, I thought Otani. they did. Uh, well, you know, I love Otani too, but I, I mean, my loyalties are to the Jays. Nice. And I will say, I thought we gave up a lot for Jose Barrios. I never yes. knew that's how you pronounce his name until I heard Dan Schulman do it on the call, and that's how I knew it was right. Um, but he's been excellent, and he yeah. gives the rotation a great, you know, a little depth behind Ryu because all we were were a great young lineup with like one pitcher. Yeah. No offense to our guy, Robbie Ray, but. Now we got Barrios in there and Robbie Ray. Steven Matz has been meh, okay. Ross yeah. Stripling, not great. Mark Former was a lot to give guess. up. Future star there for the yeah, Twins, you're yeah. right. But at the same like time. like our number two pitcher. But Barrios, we got him for the rest of this year, all next year. So he's pretty it's good. Huge. Cody, you didn't yeah. know that Dan Stanzik, big Blue Jays fan from Syracuse. So, of course, Syracuse used to be the AAA team for the Jays. So that's yeah. the connection. Yeah. And he's got nothing to add on the Jays. Yeah. He's well, like, no, whatever. Said, George, no, listen, I, I, George, George Springer, first ever back-to-back <laughs> AL Player of the Week, ever. Like, it's amazing how good he's been. And Cody, not impressed by George Springer. Like, I, nothing. Did, I did not know he was a Jays fan. This is interesting. He loved Catch Me If You Can, though, so I'm happy. <laughs> I did. Come on. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, he's the, every, he's the new everyman. I'm tired, Adnan. I did a Cody, lot during I, the Catch Me If You Can set. I need right. out of you, I need your top ten, or at least, like, who are the four or five actors or actresses where you're like, they have a movie, I'm going to the theater. It's like, I need some Chris Cody lists. To, like Adnan's always talking about like cinematography. Yeah. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know what it means. Yeah, I thought direction. my role as the producer of this podcast was to like bring everybody else in, yeah. and that's where you come in. So give me your top ten because well, it's going to be way more relatable to the everyman's the, out there or the, your favorite actors instead of this Scorsese, De Niro, <laughs> Pacino love fest. You're talking last week, Cody. You're like, how long should a movie be? And they're like, oh, under two hours, under two hours. And then he's like. Oh, oh, the Irishman. Make yeah. it seven hours. Yeah, yes, exactly. get out of here with that. Cody, no. who, are, who are the actors? Yeah, uh, yeah. I was gonna say I don't, I don't have my top ten prepared yet. Maybe I can have that in the coming weeks. But actors that will get me out to a movie every single time. I was a sucker for like the knocked up cast, like Seth Rogen, oh, Jason yeah. Siegel, yeah. Paul mm. Rudd, like that crew. James like Franco. That, James, uh, eh, He's not, not so much him anymore. Yeah. But that era, like, like, this is the end. That movie, Jonah Hill, Love super bad. Great. Like this era of comedies is like my sweet spot. Like you know, Will Ferrell movies, some like some are terrible. Mm. But I like comedies. I like easy watches generally. But I also do like the classic Catch Me If You Can's, The Departed's. Nice. So, but I would say if you just want me to say actors, yeah, like the Paul Rudd's, Jason Segel's, Seth Rogen's, those are the ones that will generally get me out every time. This is the end. Great comedy. We can all agree yeah. on that. I love them. With Danny McBride, my guy, he's unbelievable. Danny McBride, that. another one I like. <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I love McBride. He's great. 
I also love Dan Stancic. He's back. That's, that's that's very that's very predictable though. Like what I said there, right? Like that's what you, you kind just, of expected. You just hopped on a beautiful moment. You really did. And then went for my love, Danny McBride. Yeah. I also love Dan Stanzik, and you hopped him. Yeah, exactly. I know, I'm sorry. I was just it was a beautiful dismount. Pick the interview up. is ending. You know what? We're leaving it all in. That's how we roll around here. <laughs> uh, you can follow Dan Stanzik's work. He's producing a plethora of podcasts right now for ESPN. He took his paternity leave, but now he's back running at it. Which of the podcasts do you produce? Like you said, Dan, you never miss a cinephile. Which one could you recommend to the group of us right now? You want me to listen to Sarah Spain? Who do you want me to listen to? Uh, Mina Kimes, Football Mina Pod. Kimes. The mm-hmm. best, yeah. Okay. I think that's, for this audience, definitely the one you want to check out. All right, you can check that out. Hopefully, uh, Dan Stanzik's work will continue. Maybe we'll get a metal arc one day. Hey, Bimble, let's go. Let's make him an offer he can't refuse. Good stuff, Dan. Thanks, guys. A real pleasure to bring in Chapman and McLean Way. These are the guys responsible for the Netflix series Untold, which is a five-part deep dive into certain sports stories. The first one is about the malice at the palace. If you're a non-sports fan, you need a little bit of context to it. It's the Pacers-Pistons. It's when the players went into the stands. It was really a jarring moment as a fan to watch because you said, oh, my God. You've seen fans have perhaps a, a tough relationship with players at times, but never to the extent you actually went in the stands. And just remembering that moment, how literally the varying perspectives were on the one hand, how could the players do this. Not what the fans are throwing beers. Hey, there's a line that you cross. My dear friend John Saunders was amazing talking about it. He was very much uh, supportive of the players, what was happening. And to talk about it, we we're going to welcome in here Chapman and McLean Way. Again, these guys have obviously been critical in not only bringing this story, but other sports stories to Netflix. So Chapman and McLean, thanks so much for the time. Chapman, I'll start with you. Uh, why the Malice of the Pals? Man, Mouse of the Palace started about three years ago, and we were basically given access to all of the raw footage from inside the palace that night. And I believe it was 17 different camera angles. It was the high-resolution stuff. And all I had kind of seen was the kind of like blurry, low-res low YouTube kind of ESPN highlights. And seeing this footage from all the angles really was like, wow, we need to dive into this. Let's get as many people on the record as possible, and let's try to make – a thrilling recontextualization of the story. Yeah, we, you know, we reached out to Jermaine and, you know, he had been wanting to do a documentary on this for a long, long time, um, as had Meta and, and Steven. And I think for them, you know, just to kind of talk about that YouTube clip again, you know, th- their response was really interesting. They're like, listen, this bubbles up once a year on YouTube. It's a six minute video that kind of goes viral. We get a bunch of questions about it and we want to have an opportunity to really dive in and put all the context in beginning, middle and end to, to really explain what this, what this night was and what happened. I've seen rave reviews so far. I can't wait to watch it on Netflix. One of the first things I saw, we've talked about the brawl in the Pacers locker room afterwards. That was news to me. McLean, what happened there? Yeah, that was just, I think that they all, all, J.O., Meta, and Steven, Reggie even, they all talk about this post-battle nerves, you know what I mean? They're amped. They're just, they just went through just a really extraordinary event. Reggie Miller almost got, uh, was trying to protect Meta World Peace from getting maced by a police officer on the court. I mean, they're getting beer and popcorn thrown on them. They're getting, they're ducking punches, punches and throwing punches. They're up in the stands. And now they're going, you know, it's a long sequence. I mean, they were on the court for like maybe like yeah. you know, 12 minutes, they which all, doesn't sound that long, but, but 12, they all, they all like, filter yeah. into the locker room. And I think there's the iconic line from uh, Ron Artest to Jermaine O'Neal and he said, are we going to get in trouble? And I think Jermaine just lost it and they charged each other and they had to break it up and it was a melee and it just seems like a very iconic moment in the story. And just to even add more, police came in and they wanted Jermaine to stay in Detroit that night to possibly get charged by police and Jermaine just took the situation over and said, listen, my attorney, here's my attorney's number. You can call him, but I am 100% getting on a plane and I'm flying back home tonight. And that is what happened. But it was, it was dicey in that locker room for, for, for a while. I remember I covered the NBA at that time. I was in Toronto and I remember Jermaine O'Neal, like he would win the good guy award. Like he was great with the media. He was well-liked, well-respected. Like you say one thing with Ron Artest, Metal World Peace, you go, okay, bad boy, et cetera. But Jermaine O'Neal, like, dude, he was about as upstanding a citizen. Later came to the Raptors, great guy. Like, I remember thinking to myself, I'm surprised that Jermaine O'Neal was involved with this. And this is an example of how upset he must have been because he doesn't have a reputation to be a hot. He doesn't look like the kind of guy that will get upset when something like this happens. Absolutely. I think that's kind of uh, a big component of the story for Jermaine when talking to him is that he feels like this story has trailed him and he's been carrying this baggage around for 15 years. And he feels like it's been misremembered and he feels like there's a scarlet letter across him. And I think it's really interesting when you dive into the story and you learn how his uh, suspension was reversed and how a judge 
actually tells them like you were in the right to do what you did. And, you know, when you look at like, you're allowed to protect yourself. If someone comes to you with a closed fist or, you know, one of your teammates is being attacked, like it's a really interesting new way into Jermaine's story that I, that is important for him. McLean, what was it like talking to Meta? I mean, a fascinating guy. I can't imagine. What was he like? Yeah, he's great. I mean, I think he's one of those, he remembers this so well, you know, and then we had all this footage to show him. And I think one of the most interesting processes, as, as weird as it sounds, was not us watching the footage, but weirdly us watching him watch the footage was like, hmm. he's so immersed that he wasn't in the room anymore at all. He was 100% back in the palace watching this, reconciling our footage with his own memories. And I think that Ron, you know, we, we I want to give him credit where credit is due. I mean, we have such a, I would argue a more nuanced understanding of mental health in sports, especially the last few months, it's been bubbling up. But Ron was really one of those guys that just had to go through an era where people just didn't quite meet him halfway to understand the, 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 the a severe anxiety disorder that he had, depression that he was suffering from. And so for us, he's fearless and completely open about that. Um, and I think that we felt there was an energy to taking his story and, and remembering what it was like for him to go through the journey that he did. Who of these players do you guys think struggled with this the most throughout the years? Yeah, I think I think kind of Jermaine has, and we kind of talk about it later in the doc. But you know, Meta World Peace and ends up winning a championship with the Lakers with with Kobe and Stephen Jackson. It kind of already won a championship with San Antonio and kind of finished his career. And I think talking to Donnie Walsh, who was the general manager of the team, he feels like Jermaine bore the brunt of it the most because he was actually the leader of the team during that season in the locker room. He carried the team on his back, and he felt like this melee. Um, was uh, kind of fell on his shoulders. And so I, I think he carries most of the emotional trauma from that evening. It's amazing to think how a story like that can f- stay with you, how it can follow you. What I think is also interesting, guys, is Tim Donahue is in it for like five minutes, which feels a little random. But the first thought I had was, okay, McLean, are you guys doing a Tim Donahue documentary yeah, or what? I would love to. It would be fascinating. <laughs> he just definitely deserves his own, his own documentary. I, yeah, it was one of those weird elements where – I, you know, I had completely forgotten that until I dove back in and I was like, oh, my God, Tim Donaghy was was the referee that was doing all this and then reached out and he had no problem talking about that night. So let's get Tim Donaghy in the documentary here. Hopefully, oh. hopefully volume two. Yeah, you know, I think there's still a lot yeah. of great stories out there and he would be a fantastic one. No question. Tim Donaghy, I think, has a lot to say. Once again, we're talking with Chapman and McLean Way, the Netflix series Untold, five-part deep dive into certain sports stories. What else is on tap here, Chapman? What else can we look forward to here? Obviously, Malice the Palace, first one available on Netflix now. Yeah, there's a great one on the uh, Danbury Trashers hockey team and basically uh, a man named James Galante, a notorious mobster out of Connecticut, Danbury, Connecticut. Um, It's rumored that Tony Soprano was based off of this character of James Galante. Um, in 2004, bought a minor league hockey team for his 17-year-old son to be the president and general manager of <laughs> AJ Galante. AJ was obsessed with the Mighty Ducks and WWE wrestling and had a vision of combining these two passions in a minor league hockey team. And they basically broke every single penalty minute record in hockey history. I think they averaged eight to nine fights a game. Um, and basically then it was only two short, short bright, uh, kind of bright, uh, shining years uh, before the feds kind of came in and took the team down. And so it's a wild left to center true crime sports stock they, that it's, uh, should be a, a crowd pleaser. They went out in a blaze of glory and it's just they're, they're absolutely like mythic legends in Danbury, Connecticut. It's almost like we would tell people we're doing a Trashers documentary and they'd be like, oh my God, I remember those games. They're insane. Like, how are you doing it? We got all this footage. We got all these characters. Mike Rupp played on the team oh, for, yeah. for years. It was just a, a, a unbelievable character. Super funny. Another, another great episode is Christy Martin, legendary female boxer mm-hmm. who put female boxing on the map, fought on this epic Mike Tyson undercard fight in 96 that made her just become an overnight sensation cover sports illustrated Jay Leno show. Um, and the whole time she was married to her trainer, a man named Jim Martin. Uh, and as the doc goes on, it goes into kind of a very dark, strange rabbit hole where he becomes more controlling and he's this megalomaniac kind of trainer and husband hoarding over her. Um, and it basically climaxes in a murder attempt on her life where he shoots and stabs her and leaves her for dead. And it's an incredible story of like grit, resilience, 
um, strength. And it's one I'm really excited for audiences to dive into. And uh, lastly, we're doing one on Marty Fish, who was like the first uh, professional athlete to go on the public record with mental health issues while he was still playing. And it's a really cool story of him and Andy Roddick, who was his best friend. Uh, Marty Fish lived in the Roddick household in high school, lived with them, trained with them. You know, um, always played second fiddle to Andy at the later part of his career, ends up becoming the number one player for America before he's derailed by a massive mental health anxiety issue. And so so it's a really interesting story into mental health and sports. Now, you guys are brothers directing stuff together. I'm wondering, like, the creative differences and how arguments are settled when you guys have disagreements. <laughs> we've, got a, we've got a ping pong table right here in the living room. So <laughs> when things get start getting hairy, we, uh, we take it out on the ping pong table. <laughs> <clears throat> Everybody needs a respite somehow. Ping pong to the rescue. Exactly. By the way, I work with Mike Rupp at NHL Network. He's a great guy. So oh, for those who don't know, Stanley Cup champion, New Jersey Devils, lives in Pittsburgh. So I love the fact Rupper has a connection. Rupper's I can't wait the to best. Him he, he jokes around that he, he gets stopped outside Madison Square Garden. People say, Rupper, I remember when you played for the Trashers. And he's like, dude, you know, I won the Stanley Cup like 15 <laughs> minutes down the road with the devil. <laughs> and these fans are just they're like, yeah, I don't care. I just, I just remember you with the Trashers, man. You were awesome. <laughs> oh, that's great. I can't yeah. wait to ask him. But having yeah. worked at ESPN, lived in Connecticut all those years, all I knew about Danbury was it was on the way to New York on the, yeah, sure. on the I-84. Oh, yeah. So now, yeah, now yeah. I know something more yeah. about Danbury. Uh, Chapman and McLean Way, these guys are awesome. Their series is called Untold, a five-part deep dive into certain sports stories, Malice the Pals, and those other stories which sound absolutely fabulous. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks I wish so you a huge success with this. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Awesome. Cool. So really great talking. Bye, guys. Have a good one. All right. Once again, my thanks to Dan Stanzik. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter. That was fun. Dan Stanzik was fun, man. I mean, the Way Brothers were good too, but I had fun with Dan. Well, that's the thing. I knew he was going to, just like I did with uh, our boy Mike Sure, he brought material. Like, he emailed me, hey, I've got stuff that I want to do. So he wanted to ask you about the bowling, your top 10, three words. I mean, Dan comes prepared, which I can appreciate. Glad we got the Jays in as well. Uh, thanks, as always, for checking us out here on Cinephile. Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. I'm off to Iowa. Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. Chris Cody's never seen Field of Dreams. I watched it again for the first time in 20 years. Loved it as a kid, love it as an adult. And now I'm off to Iowa. I'll be there for Intentional Talk, MLB Network with Kevin Millar, Wednesday and Thursday. Next week, we'll talk about Field of Dreams, the movie, now that I saw it again, and my experience. I'm going to be interviewing Kevin Costner on Thursday. Hopefully have a little JFK conversation, the Untouchables, maybe draft day. Who knows? Maybe record something on your phone with them, a little, a little snippet for uh, Cinephile. I was about to say, let's get a Cinephile exclusive. Just so we can say he's on the episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Costner coming soon. Until then, I'll see you at the movies. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.